Sometime about 2,000 years ago, a Chinese alchemist experimenting with three different ingredients discovered something astonishing. When those ingredients were subjected to a flame together, they didn't just burn, there was a bang. Over the course of the centuries, this discovery spread around the world and dramatically shaped world history. Learn more about gunpowder, how it was invented, and how it spread around the world on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code DAILY to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Hey everyone, this is Gary. If you're listening to this podcast, you clearly are someone who likes to learn every day. And if you want to add a little more learning into your everyday routine, check out TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll hear about some of the big ideas shaping our world. This includes everything from artificial intelligence to the search for dark matter and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I've discussed many different inventions and discoveries on this show, and one common theme is that they're often discovered independently by different people in different places and often at dramatically different times. This is not the case with gunpowder. As far as we know, gunpowder only had a single place of origin, China. In fact, if you remember back to my episode on the subject, it is considered one of the four great inventions of China along with paper, the compass, and printing. There are some minor theorists who have posited an origin other than China, but I find the arguments to be really weak. The evidence for China is pretty overwhelming, and it dates back centuries. There was no ancient Egyptian, Greek, Indian, or Roman gunpowder. It was developed and refined in China, and then spread west from there. The Greeks had developed flammable substances like Greek fire, and I'll refer you to my previous episode on the subject. However, that was not gunpowder. Gunpowder, also known as black powder, was probably discovered by accident by a Chinese alchemist playing with various chemicals. We don't know who first put the necessary components together, but we do know when it was first mentioned in writing. The origin probably dates back to the first century. The first alchemist who burned it was probably shocked because they would have discovered the world's first chemical explosion. In 142, an Eastern Han Dynasty text called the Book of the Kingship of Three by the alchemist Wei Boyang wrote of three powders that would violently fly and dance. Wei Boyang is considered to be the father of chemistry, and he didn't explicitly give the formula. So we don't know if he was talking about gunpowder, but the description does fit gunpowder and it doesn't really fit anything else. Less than 200 years later, in 318, the Taoist philosopher Zhi Hong gave actual ingredients in the book The Master Who Embraces Simplicity. He listed saltpeter, 
pine resin, and charcoal. Before I go any further, I should explain exactly what gunpowder is. Gunpowder, in its simplest form, is a mixture of three things. Charcoal, sulfur, and saltpeter. Charcoal is simply a source of carbon. It's extremely easy to acquire, and it's the one ingredient that everyone around the world could easily get. The second is sulfur. Sulfur isn't as common as charcoal, but it isn't uncommon either. Sulfur mines exist around the world, and it isn't like there's only a few places on Earth where you can find sulfur. The third ingredient is saltpeter. Saltpeter is not that common. The chemical name for saltpeter is potassium nitrate. The ratio of these three things has changed over the years, but the biggest element in the mixture is, by far, saltpeter. Modern-day mixtures are approximately six parts saltpeter to one part sulfur to one part charcoal. Saltpeter was initially probably mined in caves with bats that had bat guano. In later centuries, the production of saltpeter became the most important thing for the production of gunpowder, and I'll have more on that in a bit. Gunpowder remained a novelty for centuries. Alchemists toyed with the formula, and we have documentation of their efforts in putting together better sources of carbon and nailing down their proportions. Even though the recipe, at least rough ones, for gunpowder had been known for centuries, there really wasn't any practical use for it. The first real applications of gunpowder occurred in the 10th century during the Song Dynasty. There were a host of gunpowder-based innovations that all came about around the same time. In 904, the first recorded use of fire arrows were documented in the Siege of Yushen. Initially, fire arrows were just arrows with a bag of gunpowder attached to it. Eventually, they became rocket-propelled arrows with a small gunpowder rocket attached. The next gunpowder weapon was the fire lance, which appeared around 950. A fire lance was just a long spear or a polearm that had gunpowder attached near the end of the spear. It was designed to explode at the start of a clash of infantry units. Eventually, stones and other projectiles were placed in the gunpowder to make it a quasi-shotgun. By the end of the 10th century, gunpowder had become a central part of Chinese warfare. In the Siege of Zitong, 100,000 men of the Lao Dynasty were held back by Song Dynasty forces using fire arrows. In the 11th century, bombs began to appear, which were metal cases filled with gunpowder. Moreover, given how important gunpowder became, the Song Dynasty began to control the trade of gunpowder and gunpowder ingredients, and the production of fire arrows reached into the hundreds of thousands. Perhaps most importantly, the first gunpowder used outside of China appeared in Vietnam. In the 12th century, gunpowder weapons were placed on ships. Trebuchets were employed to launch bombs. Bombs were improved and made even larger. Also, the very first things which looked like firearms and cannons began to appear. Firecrackers were also developed, which was just gunpowder on rolls of paper. Firecrackers became a popular way to celebrate festivities in China, and they still have a central use for that same purpose today. In the 13th century, we have evidence for the very first cannon. The Wu Wei bronze cannon was discovered in 1980, and it was the earliest known metal bore cannon that's ever been discovered. However, the biggest thing that happened to gunpowder in the 13th century was that it escaped from China. For obvious reasons, the Chinese didn't want the secret of gunpowder to spread. It was a huge competitive advantage for them. It was during the Mongol invasions when the Chinese leadership fractured and weakened that the recipe for gunpowder was leaked. We know it appeared around the year 1240 in the Middle East. At the Battle of Aina Jalut in 1260, the Egyptian Mamluk Caliphate defeated the Mongols in what is today modern-day Palestine and used hand cannons. The Mamluk chemist Hassan el-Rama wrote one of the earliest texts on the purification of saltpeter, which he called Chinese snow, which just adds to the legitimacy of the Chinese origin of gunpowder theory. When the secret of gunpowder spread out of China, it spread fast. By 1267, just a few years later, we have the first European mention of gunpowder by the English philosopher and early scientist Roger Bacon. 
When gunpowder spread to the Islamic and Christian worlds, they had the benefit of centuries of Chinese experimentation for the formula. The Chinese recipes at that period weren't perfect, and those imperfections were also found in the same recipes in Europe and the Middle East. The first documented use of gunpowder in India occurred in the year 1300 during the Mongol invasion of the subcontinent. The 14th century saw a massive gunpowder arms race. Here we see innovations spreading beyond just China. Now that the gunpowder genie was out of the bottle, you see new uses and new weapons developed all over the world. Europe was particularly adept at innovation with the use of cannons and firearms. And much of this had to do with the fact that while China had innovated with the chemistry of gunpowder, Europeans at that time had better metallurgy. The Europeans independently developed organ cannons before the Chinese, which were just a bunch of barrels put together. They also developed the first breech-loading cannons and a host of other innovations. There were some enormous bronze cannons in Europe during this period, including some that were 30 feet or 10 meters long. India was also developing many gunpowder weapons during this time as well, and gunpowder began to become extremely important in military campaigns there. Cannon and firearm development continued for centuries, and I don't want to make this episode just a litany of gun innovations. The focus of the episode is on gunpowder itself. So, as I mentioned before, the primary ingredient in gunpowder is saltpeter, or potassium nitrate. Getting sufficient quantities of this substance became a real problem. While there are some quantities that can be found in nature, there's not a lot. Around the 13th century, there were only two major natural sources of saltpeter in Europe. One was around Montpellier in France, and the other was in Aragon in Spain. Saltpeter was a huge strategic resource in the late Middle Ages. In the 16th century, when England was at war with Spain, Spain naturally stopped all exports of saltpeter to England. Queen Elizabeth I paid 300 pounds of gold to the German military commander Gerard Honrich for a book entitled Instructions for Making Saltpeter to Grow. Based on the price of gold today, that book cost approximately $9.3 million. Most countries began to produce their own saltpeter as natural sources couldn't meet their demand. The primary means of producing saltpeter was through the collection of excrement. In a previous episode, I talked about the evolution of sewers and how in Europe people would be paid to clean out cesspits. The reason why they did that is that all of that waste actually had value. It was used in the creation of saltpeter. The waste would be spread in what was known as a niter bed in a place called a nitrary. Other rotting organic matter would also be used as well if it was available. The processes varied, but it basically involved mixing the excrement with soil, sand, or wood ash. The potassium nitrate crystals would eventually come to the surface as a salt through a process known as efflorescence. The crystals would be collected and purified, and then made into gunpowder. During the U.S. Civil War, the Confederacy had a shortage of saltpeter due to the Union embargo, so they created the Niter and Mining Bureau for the creation of saltpeter to make gunpowder. In the early 20th century, industrial production began. Potassium nitrate was made from nitric acid, which could be produced from the Haber process, which I talked about in my episode on Fritz Haber. There's actually very little gunpowder that's made anymore. Most propellants are made out of what is known as smokeless powder. It burns with very little smoke or residue and is much cleaner. Actual gunpowder, which is produced today, usually goes under the name black powder. There is a pretty good argument to be made that humanity would have been a lot better off if gunpowder had never been invented. There has been over a thousand years of war where gunpowder has been used to kill people en masse. Nonetheless, it was invented, and it has shaped human history ever since. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. I have a pretty big correction to make on a recent episode. 
Most of the time when people send me corrections, it usually falls into the category of a different interpretation or a different theory someone might have. There are alternative theories for many things in history, and given that each episode of this podcast is only about 10 minutes, I don't usually have time to get super deep on every possible way to analyze something. Sometimes it's just a difference of opinion. For example, is the piano a string instrument or a percussion instrument? There are hammers that hit strings, so you can easily find people who will say both, and I fall into the string camp. However, sometimes I am just guilty of a total brain fart. And when someone points it out, I have to hit my forehead because the mistake was so dumb. Listener Angela Hooker pointed out over on CastBox that in my episode on hydrogen, I said you can create hydrogen by mixing baking soda and vinegar. Angela, who is a chemistry teacher, correctly pointed out that the classic science fair experiment produces CO2, not hydrogen. I was thinking of soda and just sort of wrote down baking soda and hydrogen because that was the first thing I thought of. What I should have said was that caustic soda, a.k.a. lye, a.k.a. sodium hydroxide, when it encounters aluminum, will produce hydrogen. There are YouTube videos of this which demonstrate it, and there was even an industrial accident in 1986 when an aluminum tanker truck was used to transport a sodium hydroxide solution, and the hydrogen gas pressure actually damaged the tank. So, thank you, Angela. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa.